welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. The Guinness Book of World Records a couple of years back was looking at a record for the most widely sold book in the world and they found out that the most widely sold book in the world in the non-fiction category and incidentally those sales have increased have been higher than even the fiction category as well is held by the bible and it's five billion copies of the bible which have been sold more than five billion copies which has helped it set that record as the most widely sold book in the world last year in the month of october in october 2000 15, the Gideons International set a benchmark ever since they were operational almost about 115 years back. Cumulatively, they have distributed more than 2 billion copies of God's Word freely. So that makes it 5 billion copies of God's Word being printed and sold, 2 billion copies of God's Word being given out freely. There are more than 7 billion copies of God's Word today on planet earth. No other book has got so many printed copies. No other book has got such a pervasive presence. Now that's the Bible for you. We may not recognize how important it is, but the world recognizes how important it is. And secular companies have found that there is a lot of value that they can create for themselves and their shareholders by selling the Bible. If you go to a Christian bookstore and you buy a Bible, you end up typically buying it from the Tyndale Press or from the Zondervan Publishers or from the Thomas Nelson Publishers. The NIV, as we read, is typically published by the Zondervan Publishers. And Zondervan, by the way, is owned by a company called HarperCollins and the parent company is the Time Warner Group. Now, they recognize that there's money in this business. You want to move to the NKJV, NKJV is published by the Thomas Nelson Publishers, which again is owned by HarperCollins, and HarperCollins is owned by the Time Warner Group. So Time Warner actually sells a lot of Bibles, and we think that it's the Christian missions which might be billing and funding them, but it's not. And they have different types of Bibles. They have Bibles with a denim cover. They have Bibles with a metal cover, with a yellow cover, with a pink cover, or to pocket size or, you know, all the kinds of stuff that they have. There's a lot of research that's going on in terms of making the book attractive. The world recognizes that this is the most widely read book and the most widely sold book. Isn't that amazing? We may not recognize it many times in the church and in the body of Christ, people do question the authenticity of the scriptures, the impact that the scriptures can create. And that's what I want to focus now on this book, which has been written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years, over 40 different generations in three different languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic. And... You put all of that together, you get one consistent story of the man, the teachings of the man, and the book, and of man, 
the man being the Lord Jesus Christ, the teachings of the man being the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and man being you and me. This is a book about you and me. This is not a book about what's happening in heaven right now. God is at work in heaven, but we don't see what's happening in heaven written in this book. But we see what God is doing in the life of human beings written here. Somebody said that the Bible stands for B-I-B-L-E. That's basic instructions before leaving earth. When you get a baby, do you get a manual with a baby? You don't get a manual with a baby. Right? You might have a manual in terms of mother care and stuff, I mean, uh, things like that. Like and you go to hospitals these days, corporate hospitals, they may not give you a manual, but you have a manual which God has given on how to live on planet Earth. And the interesting thing is that this Bible is available in thousands of languages, no matter where you come from. And you have different types of versions in those languages as well. Isn't that awesome? You go to Bible apps these days, you got 1,139 languages in the Gideon Bible app. In the Bible.is, they have what 1,150 languages. And for each of those languages, they've got the audio version as well. Wow, that's amazing. Then you get multiple versions within those languages as well. Now, versions are important, isn't it? So for someone like my dad, he likes the King James Version. I like the New King James Version. Another generation likes possibly a different version. There are people who pray today still in the King James Version. For thou, O Lord. When they say thou, they're relating to God. But somebody goes and says, Lord, you are so great. Right? So we relate to that. You know, uh, uh, we find this when we move from geographies to geography. You go to the U.S. and you climb up the staircase. They don't call it as a staircase. They call it as a stairway. And they drive through the driveway. And they walk through the hallway. Everything becomes a way. Entertainment becomes Broadway. And they fail to recognize what is the narrow way. And we get in there and we're like, hey, what's happening? Like they're using our terms in a different way altogether. And you go to Britain, they talk about a passage. A passage is like a passage. But a passage is also a portion from the scripture as well. The story is told about an Indian, an imaginary conversation who walks up to, uh, you know, the immigration counter after he lands in the U.S. And these experiences can be very intimidating once you have a 24-hour flight you're standing up there and here is this, this guys asking you all kinds of questions and they're asking you questions that they they are very comfortable with so here's this guy behind the counter and he's asking him sir what brings you here and the indian is like looking at him and saying uh yeah air france brought me here <laughs> sir i'm not asking you how you flew in here? I'm asking you, what brings you here? And the guy is like confused. The Indian guy who's a hero back home, suddenly he's looking like a zero because he thought he is very good at English and he is somebody who's asking funny questions. And then he says, are you visiting us, sir? I said, no, I've actually come to stay with my brother. You can't stay here. Your visa doesn't allow you to stay here. And this guy is absolutely confused. So are you going to stay here? Yes, yes. 
You're going to stay here. No, 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 no. no. Make up your mind. No, that's, that's the problem with Indians. We nod our heads. And many times when you nod our heads, you can't even make out whether it's a yes or a no. And you say yes once and then you say immediately no for the same question. Right? And then sometimes we say, give me a second, I'll come back in a minute. Right? So Indians are like so used to kind of making those kind of statements. But praise God, no matter what dialect you use, no matter what language you use, no matter what version of the language you use, God speaks to us. If you look at the chart that is in front of you, right on top of the chart, you find a load of versions that you have today that's available for us as the English Bible. RSV, ESV, NIV, NKJV, KJV, then you have the Good News Translation, then you have the Message Bible, then you have the Amplified Bible, you have the Holman version, you name it. You walk into a Christian bookstore, you have all of those there. That's 20th century for you, 21st century for you. But when you go down that same chart, you would find that it was not always like that. You had one manuscript, a couple of other manuscripts to add on. Then you had the ancient copies from the Codex Vaticanus. Then you had the Masoretic text. Then you had the Latin Vulgate. And they were all locked up and kept there. Then you had versions like the Wycliffe version and the Tyndale version. Those were the only versions available at that point of time. And for a lot many years, for almost 300 years or so, you had only one version in English. That's the King James Version. The problem with today's generation is we don't have value for this because you have a lot of versions floating. People don't bring in a Bible into a church People don't feel good about carrying the Bible. I was there in a place called Aizol in Mizoram a couple of weeks back, and I was visiting a friend there. And this picture that I'm showing you caught my attention. It's from their living room. And they had a television set there, and right under the television set, there was a stack of Bibles. These were the Mizo Bibles. They had to wait for years to get a Bible in their native language, the Mizo language. And the Mizo Bible, by the way, looks the same no matter which house you go to. It's all the same binding. It's all the same pink edge for the paper. Same size. They do not have the yellow cover or the denim cover or the metal cover there, but they cherish this Bible. They value it. They carry it with them wherever they go. They read them. I was watching a video of the Bible being sent in a box to a church in China. And when they opened that box, you had people having tears in their eyes, jumping with excitement because that's the first Bible that they got for themselves as their personal copy. People value it that way. Because they know that the book has got God's word speaking to them. And we have a problem of plenty. And I want to bring back that focus this, this afternoon for us. So that we understand how precious it is. The word of God. Why it is so unique. And people who recognize that uniqueness. The kind of sacrifices that they made. Between the year 1320 to 8, 1383, there was a man by name John Wycliffe. 
John Wycliffe belonged to the Roman Catholic Church. He was considered as a dissident in the Roman Catholic Church. He had this burden in his heart that he wanted to take the scriptures, which were then locked up as the Vulgate, and translate them into English. And he translated into what is called as the Middle English to make the Bible accessible to people who are not able to read the Word of God. To make it accessible to the common man. So that beyond what is shared on the pulpit in a church, during the week people can read the word of God and make it personalized for themselves. John Wycliffe was hated by the church. He was declared as a heretic in 1415. And a few years later, Pope Martin V called for a special action of digging up the grave of John Wycliffe, taking his bones and burning them to ashes and throwing those ashes away into the river. That was the kind of hatred that he was working in. But the man knew that the message in the Bible is the living message that had to be taken to the people that need it most. Around the same time, there was another man by, by name Jan Hus, also called as John Hus in some of the translations. This man wanted to again bring the scriptures to the people and make them accessible, the teachings accessible to the people so that people can understand that the plan of salvation that God has for them is so real and so free. And salvation is not through works but through faith. And this man was burnt alive. He sacrificed his life. He was a martyr. Years later, there was a man between 1494 to 1536 by name William Tyndale. There's a publishing house that is named after him called the Tyndale Press. William Tyndale translated the first copy of the complete Bible in English from Hebrew and Greek. And this man, again, was hated by the church of those days. Because he made the scriptures accessible to people, personalized for people. And those of them whose eyes were blinded by the evil one who wanted to keep the knowledge of God to themselves, strangulated him to death. Not only did they strangulate him to death, but they took him out in the public square, put him on a stake, and they burnt his body publicly. He took advantage of the printing press technology and printed some Bibles during those days. This is the public humiliation that he faced. And while he was dying, he had a prayer that he had. And he said, Lord, let the king of England realize the power of your word and let your word sweep this nation. A few years around the same time, Martin Luther, who's called the father of reformation, he translated the Bible into German. He's the one who went and, and, and he encountered the Catholic church saying, you're not going to get salvation through works, but salvation is through faith. The just shall live by faith. And he was influenced by William Tyndale and the writings in the Tyndale Bible. And he made the scriptures accept, accessible to the common man. A couple of years after Tyndale's death, King Henry VIII issued a special 
edict and commission what is called as the Henry's authorization of the great Bible. Now, this was the fulfillment of the desire that Tyndale had in his last prayer before death that England should see, the King of England should see the power of God's word. And that really happened as an answer. A couple of centuries later in 1611, we have the King James Bible, which was authorized by King James I. And that became a Bible which was put together by 54 different scholars and printed and made available to the general public for reading. When you look at the King James Bible, 83% of the New Testament in the King James Bible is exactly the same as the Tyndale's Bible. And 76% of the Old Testament is exactly the same as the, as the Tyndale's Bible. People like John Wycliffe, people like William Tyndale, they gave their life for this book because they knew that there is a living message that needs to be taken and personalized into the lives of people. Do we recognize the sacrifice behind this book? I love this book. Hold your Bible up if you have it with you, please. And just thank the Lord. I know it's an embarrassing question. Maybe you can hold your cell phones up if you have your Bible app open. It doesn't matter. But please do carry this Bible with you wherever you go. If the world is recognizing that this is the most widely sold book today, let's continue to make it the most widely sold book. We do have soft copies of apps, yes, but they're mostly used for evangelism to promote the word of God. But your copy of the Bible is your copy of the Bible. You know, my second daughter, when she was three years old, four years old, you know, she was so fascinated by the pocket Bible. She said, I want to keep that with me. And every time we meet for a family prayer, she wants to bring that Bible with her. But it becomes a habit when you personalize it, when you value it, that you want to carry your Bible with you. It's such a wonderful sight to see on Sunday mornings, Christians walking on the street towards the bus stop with their Bible. Men and women, boys and girls, and boys and girls particularly from hostels walking on the street with their Bible going to church. They don't walk there with flowers to a church. They don't walk there with coconuts or candles, but they walk with the Word of God. The world recognizes Christians as people who read the Bible. And it's important for us to Communicate that. People can ask you when they walk up into your office or into your room, hey, that's a Bible. Can you tell us more about it? Isn't that amazing? You open up a door to share about God to them. Do not forget your Bible, please. Come to India. William Carey, the well-known missionary who came into Calcutta, who lived between 1761 and 1834, he called himself as a cobbler, but he was not really a cobbler. He was a shoemaker. He had his own shoemaking business. But the man, as a teenager, he sensed the calling from God to be a missionary to a place which has never tasted the gospel. And while in England, he mastered French, Dutch, Latin, German languages and the Hebrew language. And of course, English was his mother tongue. 
And after coming to India, he translated the scriptures into Bengali, Oriya, Assamese, Arabic, Hindi, and Sanskrit. Isn't that amazing? It takes efforts to learn a language. How many of us take pride that we do not know Kannada? It's so important for us to connect with people by learning a language. And here is a man, despite of his very tough personal situations, his wife, for many years, she was diagnosed of a nervous breakdown and she was branded by the doctors as mentally insane and the medical advice that was given to him from the doctors as well as the counseling that he received from his friends was to put his wife in a lunatic asylum but he refused to do that he was a man of integrity who kept his marriage vows in today's world where we see and we hear about spouses the moment they come to know that the husband or the wife has got cancer or some other disease they go in search of other avenues but this was a man who not only translated the word but he lived by that word by fulfilling his wedding vows in the midst of the personal crisis out of his nine children, he lost quite a few of them. He lost his wife as well. He translated the Bible. Not only did he translate the Bible into those languages, but he also took upon a journey to translate the Hindu scriptures from Sanskrit into English and other languages so that people can do a comparative study of the Hindu scriptures with the Bible and come to know the truth. Now that's a huge project in itself. And in one of those occasions in 1812, there was a fire that destroyed many of his manuscripts. He had to restart all over again. He did not give up. That sacrifice, that's the kind of sweat and blood that went behind this book. It was William Carey who said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Isn't that a powerful message for each and every one of us where God tells us to attempt great things for Him and He would do great things through us and for us. Because God is awesome. Years later, there was a lady by name Pandita Ramabai in 1858 to 1912. This was a lady who translated the Bible into the Marathi language. She was born in Karnataka but lived in Maharashtra, got married to somebody from West Bengal and lived a life which was multicultural but under extreme persecution while she was leading a social reformation. But she brought in the Bible for the Marathas coming from a Brahmin background. Why did they do what they did? It's because God chose them as vessels to take his word to those who need to read it. Because at the end of the day, what they did was not their project, but it was God's project, which God was executing through His children who made themselves available for that project. Each of them were used as vessels by God because this word of God that was written years back has been written with absolute consistency. There are three things that we talk about the Bible every time we talk about its uniqueness. It's the inspired Word of God. It's the infallible Word of God. And it's the inerrant Word of God. 
because it is inspired by God, because it is a word which is everlasting, infallible, and because it is error-free, God makes sure that he's making it available to the nations of the world, to the tribes of the world, and uses people like all of those men and women who contributed for it. What does the Bible have to say about it being inspired? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Jesus was speaking to Satan, when he was tempted, he makes this very powerful statement, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not by one word, not by some words, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which means that God speaks. Jesus confirms that God speaks. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, a very famous verse, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void without accomplishing the purpose for which it has been sent. Which means that every time we read this word, God continues to speak to us, makes it personal for us. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus emphasizes on that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the word of God says that all scripture, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. In another version it says, given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, you and I have been called to do good works. You and I have been chosen to do good works. We are not judged. We are not saved by our good works, but we've been called to do good works. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we've been given this word, which is inspired by God, to equip us thoroughly for every good work that God has called us to do. It is inspired by Him. It is breathed by Him. Think about it. When the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, did Moses ever see Adam? Did Moses ever see Eve? Did Moses ever see Jacob? Did Moses ever see Abraham? But how did Moses know the history of the Israelites? Did Moses ever see the Noah's flood? How did he pen that to absolute and incredible detail? It is only because it was God who breathed those words through Moses. Inspired him to write something which was absolutely and stunningly consistent. Thousands of years later, there lived a man by name Matthew who took it upon himself to chronicle the life of Jesus in the first gospel in the New Testament. And as Matthew starts his first chapter, he starts spending the genealogy of Jesus. You read that genealogy of Jesus and go back to the Old Testament and sew the two things together. It perfectly fits in place. No contradictions because both of these books were inspired by God. How many times do you think Matthew would have read the Old Testament? How many times do you think he would have poured into that genealogy history and then written the book? I don't think he would have had time to read it more than a couple of times. Because he was busy as a disciple. 
he was busy evangelizing, taking the gospel to the nations of the world. But if he wrote something so consistent with what was written in the Old Testament, it has to be God inspiring him. Three books later in the book of Luke, there comes this man who was a medical doctor who wants to go one step forward and start the genealogy all the way from Adam. And then you look at what Luke had to write, what Matthew had to write, and what is written in the Old Testament amazingly fitting so well. This has to be only God. And nothing that you see in the Old Testament as the principles that God has given are contradicted in the New Testament. The inspired word of God. The second thing about this word which makes it so distinct, let me tell you, there's no other book in the world which was written by so many authors over so many years, yet having such an integrity and such a consistency of the content. You look at the Book of Mormons that was written by one man, Joseph Smith. You go to the Holy Quran, it was written, it was dictated to one man, the prophet. But this book, written by so many authors with absolute consistency. The second thing about this book which makes it so unique and so distinct is that the Bible is the infallible word of, word of God which means it is there from everlasting to everlasting. It is there everlasting with its purpose being fulfilled and there is no end to it in terms of the way it lasts. There are people who try to burn the Bible. There are people who try to destroy it, bury the Bible. It is told that when the Romans set up their second capital in Constantinople, which is today called Istanbul, they moved a lot of religious artifacts from Rome to Constantinople and around the 15th century, I think around 1430 AD or so, when the Ottoman Turks invaded Constantinople and they destroyed the city, burned down that city, they burned many of these religious artifacts, including a lot of manuscripts. But one of those manuscripts which did not get shipped to Constantinople but remained back in Rome because it could not make it to the shipment was what finally became the Codex, Codex Vaticanus, which was the basis for the rest of the Bibles to be translated. God has got a purpose for saving that. Years later, in the 20th century, in the early 1900s, I think in the middle of the 20th century, 1940s or something like that, when the Qumran documents, as they are called, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, when people started translating those manuscripts, when they started comparing the content of those manuscripts, it exactly reflected what was there in the translated Word of God already. There was this group of people who were living in secrecy, in those caves who preserved those manuscripts and those manuscripts do not contradict what was already translated. Isn't that amazing? There's a man by name Voltaire, a very well-known French philosopher. I think the French try to do things very differently. When the English like the lavender, the French would say, I won't try the lavender, I won't try the jasmine, but I'll mix multiple flowers, develop my own perfume. 
you want to drive on the left, I want to drive on the right kind of a stuff, right? So these guys had this great philosopher by name Voltaire. Voltaire made this statement that the Bible is a relic of the past. And within 100 years after my death, the Bible will become history. There will be no Bible on the face of the earth. I think it was in 1778 that Voltaire was dead and gone. The Bible still exists. And as Dr. Ravi Zacharias said, the Bible has got an amazing humor for its pallbearers. The very house in which Voltaire used to live today is the headquarters for the French Bible Society. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? The word of God is infallible and Jesus himself states that in Matthew chapter 24 verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Wow. It's the man of this book making that statement himself. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He reflects what was written in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 where the prophet says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Hallelujah. What was written is continuing to get fulfilled even today. They say that there are more than 3,000 prophecies in the Bible which have already been fulfilled. Around 3,000 prophecies in the Bible which are still getting fulfilled today and will continue to get fulfilled. And you will find many of them in the books like Ezekiel, in books like Daniel, and the final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And we are seeing the happenings in the world today reflecting what was mentioned in the Bible as prophetic words. The infallible word of God. The word of God which endures forever. You may not be using a Sony Walkman today. You may not be using a Videocon television today. You may not have Onida as a brand that you cherish today. You may not have an ambassador car today. Brands might come, brands might go. But the word of God endures forever. That's the Joseph's modern translation for you. The third thing about the word of God is that the word of God is inerrant, which means it is error-free. It is pure. It is holy. In Psalm 33 verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. There's something special about the word of God. The word of God is not burdensome. The word of God is not confusing. The word of God is crystal clear and right. There are religious books that we hear, we, we read when we read some of those scriptures. It's pretty confusing because some of them tend to say that it's okay to tell a lie. Some of them tend to say that truth is not absolute but truth is relative. Certain things are circumstantial. Some of them are so unaware of what happens about life after death. But the Bible is very clear. If the prophet Isaiah talked about Jesus and his birth and his death and his resurrection and his blood paying the ransom for our sins, it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Amen. That's the level of consistency that we are talking about. 
in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. The pure word of God. Because when He speaks, He speaks purity. Because God is holy. The Lord said, Be holy, for I am holy. And when a holy God speaks, there is purity that comes from Him. And that purity cuts through our heart and makes us pure. To reflect his glory. In Psalm 18 verse 30 it says. For God. As for God. His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. You know what flawless means? They look for flawless diamonds. I look at it like this. They say crystal clear. Is a word that we use. By the way, flawless is not a word that was invented by Beyonce. Just in case you did not know. Flawless is the nature of God. He wants to impart to us. And his word is flawless. And that's the reason why in heaven there are angels and saints singing, Holy, holy, holy. That's his nature. The nature of God is holy. And that's the nature that he wants to bestow to us. And he wants to give that glory to us. In Psalm 12 verse 6 it says, The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Wow. Purified silver can reflect your image. Purified seven times. Think about it. And that's the purity that is being compared with. So every word that proceeds from God's printed word and God's mouth is pure, it's holy, it's cutting edge. It comes into your life and ministers to you and accomplishes the purpose and transforms you to his nature. As we look to these qualities, I want to take you through a few descriptions here about what the Bible has to say about itself. Some of the comparisons that the Bible talks about itself, what the Word of God is compared with. First and foremost, the Word of God is compared with the truth. It is called the truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying there, He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. This is truth. Tell your neighbor, God's word is truth. The Bible is the truth. The Bible is the truth. It says, sanctify them by your truth. The truth sanctifies. The truth sets you free. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17, the word of God is called as the sword of the spirit. And the Spirit is in capital S, which means the sword of the Holy Spirit. The weapon that the Holy Spirit uses is the sword, which is the Word. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And it says here, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Psalm 19 verse 10, the Word of God is compared with gold. And it says it's more precious than gold. More precious than gold. It says, more to be desired are they than gold. 
Yeah, more than fine gold. Fine gold, which is much more precious and much more purer. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Isn't that amazing? We might be so enamored by gold. We want to have gold ornaments. We would like to have gold wristwatches or whatever be it. But let me tell you, for God, gold is dust. In the city of New Jerusalem, you'll be walking with, walking on streets of gold under your feet. Kick the dust, gold comes out. Right? That's the kind of stuff. In Psalm 119, verse 103, the word of God is compared with, with honey. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Wow. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Right? So I've got some honey here. And it's so unique. Right? Honey is such a thing that when you taste it, it is so sweet. Don't look at my honey, get your own honey. Right? And if you're thinking the wrong way, don't get some honey, get one honey. You know when you eat this honey, you tend to do this. Right? And that comes not from the tip of your tongue, but from the bottom of your tongue. Right? It's supposed to be the way you eat honey because the taste of honey goes right to the end of your tongue. And you would have seen a, cha a change in my voice. Your voice gets cleared. Your throat gets cleared. Right? Because it cleanses you. The word of God cleanses you. Makes you pure. You know, John the Baptist was eating locusts and honey. They say locusts were the, uh, are the most intelligent creatures made by God outside of man that is and he was eating honey also the word of God is sweeter than honey sweeter than honey Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 the word of God is compared to a two-edged sword it says like the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Quite a loaded verse here. It says the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart which means the word of God is a framework you read the word of God it starts reflecting into your heart throws the light into your heart and shows you who you are in the light of the world and you discern where you stand by the power of the Holy Spirit who's using that word and it cuts through like a knife between your spirit and your soul you know, we heard teachings in this church from this platform by Pastor Victor and on the soul and the spirit. Some things which you do through your heart, some things which your spirit is letting you to do by your sinful nature. And what is coming from where the word of God slices, separates them out. Just as, just as you separate out the marrow from the bones. Wow. A two-edged sword. On both the sides, it's sharp. That's the comparison here. 
In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is compared to light. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, God says, Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The word of God is like fire. It can burn. It can purify. It can extinguish all that is impure. It can break the hearts of even the most stone-hearted person. Somebody said that God speaks to us in two ways. One through nature, the other through scripture. Nature is open to all and scripture is open for those who open it. But when you open it, something happens. You're not the same again because the word of God convicts you, breaks your hard heart to pieces. That's how the word of God describes itself. Let's move now to the prescriptions on what we need to do with the Word of God, what God expects us to do with the Word of God. And I'm going to conclude with that. There are three things that I want to share with you. The first is that God wants us to meditate on the Word of God. The word meditate is almost similar to living with something, ruminating uh, the way the cows eat their food. Have you seen a cow eating its food? Yeah, you might find it so difficult to stand next to a cow in Bangalore because they live next to the garbage dumps here. It might s smell, but if you find it difficult to do that, go to the YouTube and see how a cow eats its food, how it ruminates. They go down, lie down, take the food out, and they chew it. And they're doing it for hours. And that's what God wants us to do with his word. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do everything according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The key to success you don't need to write a lot of books. This is like a one-second key to success. What is it? You're going to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Which is you wake up in the night, you're troubled with thoughts about your future. Remember the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. You look at somebody, you don't like that somebody. You hate that somebody because of what that somebody did to you. Remember the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. And then it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your... Everybody say mouth. Not from your heart. It says mouth, which means you're speaking it. It's important to speak the word of God to yourself. It doesn't say depart from your house. Of course, you need to have it in your house. You need to have it in your heart. I'm not saying don't have it there. But it's important for you to know it. Psalm 1 verses 1 to, 1 to 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The guy who does not sit with people who are scornful, the guy who does not sit with people who are ungodly, the guy who does not fellowship with people who are sinning at the time when they are sinning, but the one who walks 
those places and the one who spends time meditating the word of God about such person, the word of God says, blessed is he. Blessed is he. You are blessed when you are meditating day and night on the word of God. These days we sit in places that we are not meant to be sitting in. We participate in jokes that we are not meant to be participating in. We watch movies that we are not meant to be watching. We pay our rupees for movies which curse the name of Jesus. We pay our rupees for movies in which they show profanity. They use profanity and they show sex and violence so vulgarly. And they defame and they demoralize the entire human race. And we have no problem watching those. We have no problem sitting, those, sitting and doing those things. And God says like, you're not blessed when you're doing those, but you're blessed when you walk away from those and you're sitting there meditating on the word of God. Psalm 119 verses 15 to 16 say, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Isn't that amazing? I will meditate on your precepts. It's important for us to constantly meditate. How often do we learn the word of God in the church and go back and meditate on that during the week? Go back and read the word of God and go in depth based on what we learned. It's important that we do it. Psalm 145 verse 5 says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Meditate. Wow, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You made me. You've given this to me. In the past, you blessed me. You said that you will do this to me. Thank you for your word. That's meditation. Keep your focus on God. The second thing that God wants us to do about his holy scriptures is to memorize them. While you, you, can, you cannot meditate without memorizing. You cannot have the law of the Lord on your lips without learning the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that amazing? Do you have your, the word of God hidden in your heart? One of the things that we have resolved as a family to do is to memorize scripture. It's so important. Many times we, have, we don't go beyond John 3.16. Because that's something that we learned during Christmas time in church as Sunday school kids. Or maybe everybody talks about it when they share the gospel, right? Let's move beyond that. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart. Memorizing is so important. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. It says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, we as a body of Christ, as a body of believers in the church, we've been called to minister to one another, to admonish one another, to build up one another, which we don't do very often. In today's world, if we find a brother who is sinning or a sister who is sinning or somebody struggling with something in their life which is ungodly, we turn the other way. We say, that's his life. That's their privacy. But God expects us to step in. God expects us to minister through his word. And it says, admonishing one another with 
psalms and singing. We are not meant to turn the other way. It's okay to be offensive. It's perfectly fine because the word of God convicts people. It's not going to be pleasing when they hear it. And that's perfectly the will of God. It's only then that we build each other up and we fulfill the responsibility of being a body as described in the book of Corinthians where if there's a problem with a hand, the other hand helps out. If there's a problem with the leg, the hand helps out. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9, it says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. First, it starts with your heart. And then it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Wow. What kind of a parenting is it when you actually encourage your children with the word of God? Not by your wisdom. Not by something that you hear on WhatsApp, a statement that is there. These days we don't memorize the word of God. We are so familiar with the scripts of songs that we sing. Sometimes we don't even ask questions on whether we are singing the right thing or not. You know, there's a song that we used to sing long back and we sometimes still do. It says, when all things that surround me become shadows in the light of you, when I find the joy of reaching your heart, and then it's, it used to say long back, when your will becomes enthroned in my life. And that's the way I learned that song. And suddenly I realized churches are singing the same song as when my will becomes enthroned in your love. It's so different. It's so contrary to what the scripture teaches. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You know, when you sing, when your will becomes enthroned in my life, it's a different meaning than saying, when my will becomes enthroned in your love. It's not about my will, it's about God's will. Please be careful what you memorize. Memorize the scripture before you memorize the songs. And when you sing a song, even look at the content of the song. Sometimes it's the writer who writes and some songs may not be doctrinally sound. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18 says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, somebody calls you up and you're driving. It's so easy to say, it's okay, buddy, everything will be fine. God is good all the time. He'll do it for you. That's fine. But when you speak scripture into that situation, you may not have time to pull the car to the side and open the Bible and read the word. But if you have the word in your heart and on your lips, it's so easy to speak to that person. Don't you think so? Memorize the scripture. Speak the scripture into your life as well. The last thing on what God expects us to do is to manifest his word. Meditate on his word memorize his word and manifest his word you know manifesting is basically living by the word applying the word into our life you know but sometimes you know people get to another stage in between and that's the stage that i don't want to talk about they put another m in between that is mastering the word they want to be a master in the scriptures they want to interpret the scriptures and and it's like when i learn everything then I'll start applying it kind of stuff. Not really true. 
if i say that i'm going to eat this whole bottle of honey and then i'll tell you it's good or not i'm bound to fall sick before i tell you that i taste it i testify about it right and these days people who want to be masters in the scriptures they go ballistic in terms of talking stuff which can be very far away from the truth i was listening to one sermon by a gentleman who was preaching about the good samaritan story and he said like the man was going from jerusalem to jericho jerusalem is up on the hill jericho is down in the valley jerusalem is about sin the walls of jerusalem were broken god doesn't like sorry jericho on top of it the walls of jericho were broken jericho jericho is a valley of sin but jerusalem is a nice place and if that man was not going from jerusalem to jericho but was going from jericho to jerusalem he would not have been beaten by the robbers i was like jesus would have been thinking when did i say that what are you talking like you know people tend to interpret that was a simple story of the good samaritan and the guy went on preaching about stuff which was not even there in the scriptures don't wait to master the scriptures go ahead and manifest it the word manifest i want to talk about the man first in the manifest word the man being jesus john chapter 17 verse 17 we saw when jesus said sanctify them by your truth and your word is truth the same jesus said this in john chapter 14 verse 6 and i think this verse is the make or break verse of the christian theology john chapter 3 3 verse 16 people like that verse you go and tell about that everybody likes that verse everybody likes matthew chapter 6 but when you present john chapter 14 verse 6 it can be offensive to the world what does it say i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me when you say that it hurts when you say that it hurts and that's the essence of what jesus said that he is distinct from everyone else and that's when he claims i am the truth we talk about god's word being the truth and he is indeed the truth john chapter 1 verse 1 says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and verses later it says the word became flesh and came to dwell among us this word that we are talking about is indeed completely manifested in jesus would this manifest in your life would this word become flesh in your life and my life that's when i want to talk about the i in the word manifest that is me when i can personalize it when i can live with it james chapter 1 verse 21 says therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you the word planted in you will help you to get rid of all the moral filth and all the evil which is so prevalent today the world might be putting that filth and junk into you but the word which is planted inside you can cl- clean it out it's like a purgatory it throws everything out from you psalm 119 verse 9 very famous verse it says how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word you want to keep yourself pure as a youngster 
the word of God is the key. Pay heed to the word of God. John chapter 15 verses 7 to 8 it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Wow. He's describing a disciple here. He's saying a disciple is one who abides in him. A disciple is one where Jesus' words abide in that person. A disciple is one where when he asks something that he desires, God answers that prayer because God's word is abiding in him. A disciple is one where the Father is glorified in his life. A disciple is one who is in the vine as a branch and bearing fruit. That's manifestation of God's glory. In James chapter 1 verse 22 it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We can hear and hear and hear and hear. We can want to master this, but the key is in doing it. The key is in using this word, applying it to your life, claiming the promises of God, living a holy life, living a life which is reflective of his glory. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 talks about it, about a man who built a house on the rock, a wise man it says, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You want to be called wise? It's you who will be called wise when you listen to the word and do according to the word. The last verse I want to leave with is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And I want you to pay very close attention to this. It really reflects what God has called us to be. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. Then it describes us, it says, Children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is that what you want to be called as? Is that what I want to be called as? A child of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We don't need to prove to ourselves or prove to anyone that the generation that we are living in is crooked and perverse. But are we distinguishing ourselves as children of God without fault. And that can only happen when we fulfill the word of God. Then it goes on to say, Among whom you shine as lights in the world, that is in the crooked and perverse generation, you shine as a light. How do you do that? There lies the key. Holding fast the word of life. Amen? Do you like the word? Yeah, hold on to it. Hold on to the word. It's a word of promise. It's a word of power. It's a word that gives you authority. It's a word that gives you visibility in a perverse and crooked generation so that you are the light of the world when you live by the word. Memorize, meditate. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.